This episode is brought to you by Dietz and Watson. Uh, Molly, it's time we have the talk about hot dogs. Oh, oh, okay. Well, hey, (laughs) I'm looking for a hot dog that's the real deal, Matthew. Like a classic hot dog that like when you think of like the platonic ideal of a hot dog, Mm -hmm. I recommend Dietz and Watson's Dietz Dogs. Ah, well, I've heard that they're handcrafted and made using only Dietz and Watson premium meat. I can vouch for this because Dietz and Watson sent us a big box of hot dogs and other delights. And wife of the show, Lori, and I had them for dinner last night. We had uh, the classic beef Dietz dogs with uh, toasted buns with sauerkraut and pickled jalapenos and Dietz and Watson ballpark style yellow mustard. Do you think you'd recommend Dietz and Watson hot dogs for fried rice? Oh, yeah. Fried rice with some sliced hot dogs. I'm going to be doing that soon. Wife of the show, Lori, is going to be making the hot dog flour buns from Christina Cho's cookbook, Mooncakes and Milk Bread. Very excited for this. Mm, And I'm especially pleased because Dietz and Watson does things the right way. So this means like no additives, no fillers, no artificial flavors, no cutting corners. You can feel good about this stuff. Dietz and Watson. It's a family thing since 1939. Shop now at Dietz slash the right way. That's Dietz, D-I-E-T-Z, and Watson.com slash the right way. I'm Molly. And I'm Matthew. And this is Spilled Milk, the show where we cook something delicious, eat it all, and you can't have any. And we've been doing this show for so long that I can turn my brain off while I say the intro, and it still comes out. Me too. Guess what? We've been doing this show so long, I can turn my brain off for the rest of the episode, and you'll never know the difference. In fact, I've been doing it for years. I, I think this explains why neither of us ever remember anything we said while oh, we're Oh, no, taping. absolutely not. Um <laughs> Do you have someone in your life? I'm not going to name names. Um, let's uh, let's say that that the the person I'm thinking of rides with Judy Amster, who like right after the episode is posted will like uh, text you or call you and give their comment on something for the episode, and just like I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, my friend Sarah is a devoted listener. In fact, she has suggested episodes before, which I think we've done. Sarah mm-hmm. will often text me about something we've said in an episode, and I have to like rack my brain to even figure out what she's talking like to even figure out that she's talking about the podcast. Yeah, like you know, like I love weasels too, and I'm like, what? what? I mean, great, good for you, but. <laughs> Okay. All right. Well, before we get started, we want to say that you have like a few more hours to register for our live show, which is airing tonight. If you're listening on May 13th, it's tonight at 6 p.m. Pacific. Yep, that's bit.ly slash live 21 It is free. We'll be doing a lightning round. And if you have a last-minute topic to suggest to uh, producer Abby to pull out of her hat, send it to topics at spilledmilkpodcast.com. Well, and the truth is, even if we don't get to use it for the live show tonight, we can add it to the pool of, of possible topics for future episodes. That's true. I mean, do we have, like, the, the legal right to do that? If someone sends in a topic for the lightning round, are we... <laughs> Are we allowed to turn it into a full length episode? Yeah, or do we need to need to like uh, get special per- written permission for that? Uh, I, I don't think know. we do whatever we want. That's what I think. It seems like that's what we've been doing on the podcast so far. Anyway, so yeah, uh, come join us. Uh, we'll be in our closets, and we'll see you tonight. Yeah. If you're listening to this on Thursday, May 13th. Yeah, I can't decide whether I'm going to do my, going to appear from my dining room, like where we usually tape, or in my uh, podcasting closet. I think, I guess I should do the closet. It's, I mean, it's, I guess wherever you're more comfortable, but it would kind of be fun if we were both in our yeah, closets. Yeah, I think, I think I'll do the closet. I mean, it looks, it looks pretty harrowing. <laughs> 
So I think that'll yeah. be fun. Yeah. And plus, then you'll have the awesome kind of slightly ill-looking yeah. uh, complexion that I have from being in my closet. Yeah. No, no. I've got I've got the full span. <laughs> I've got the ring light plus the uh, like Kroger brand LED lighting. Like, this is the best lighting you can I, get, I think. I can't wait for tonight. Yeah. All right. So today's episode, we haven't even said yet, today's episode is colanders. <laughs> yes. You've been asking for this for so long. It was suggested by a listener cat but i mean who hasn't wanted us to weigh in about colanders uh, you know as soon as this suggestion came in we were both like yes okay yes, absolutely colanders i have things to it say is. i have at least 45 seconds worth of things to say about colanders well matthew i gotta say i'm sitting here looking at the agenda and it is almost three google doc pages <laughs> So buckle your seatbelts, everybody. Is this going to be one of those episodes where we realize we have so much material, we have to break it into colanders one and two? I think Is it going to turn into like colanders versus sieves? It might. Okay. Well, anyway. All right. Let's get started. I'm going to take us down memory lane first. Please. Okay. So I think my mom still has the colander that I grew up with. And I think of this as like... I mean, obviously, whatever you grow up with, I think, is your normal in terms oh, of yeah. anything in life. But I still think of this colander truly as like the definition of a colander. So it was about maybe 10 inches wide at the mouth. OK, and I think mm -hmm. I think this is a very standard size. It was aluminum and it was like a dull aluminum. You know what yeah, I mean? I know what like, you mean. And it had perforations arranged in sort of like a flower shape almost. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I, I know what you mean. And it had like little metal tabs for feet. It had three of them. So I have a colander now that's the same size. Oh, must be nice. I have a colander now that's the same size, but mine is stainless. And mine has like a ring foot instead of the little like actual feet. And my mom's is still like, to me, the perfect colander because I hate cleaning around the ring. Like oh, pasta okay. starch kind of gets stuck between like the seam yep. of the bowl and the ring. Anyway, we're going to go on about this. No, I know what you mean. But yes, the colander of my youth had these cute little feet. And I mean, not not, you know what I mean? Feet, not actual I, I feet. know what you mean by feet, yes. The, the, the sort of like sprout out. <laughs> yes. From, yes. From the bowl, yes. Yeah, okay. Like All a right. clawfoot tub. Exactly. Only, had, only a colander. Had, yeah. It had claw feet. Yeah. If you were, if you were like a, like a, a little a teeny tiny kitten, you could take a bath in it. Except kittens don't like baths, so you probably wouldn't. Mm. No, but you would because the water would drain out through the colander holes. Oh, this would be perfect. I wonder if people per ever use for this for their small animals. We should try yep. using this for a guinea pig. Okay. I love yeah, that I know, said a guinea pig, like just anyone that we might see outside. That's right. No, you can talk about how that goes on colanders too next week. <laughs> Great. What about the colanders of your youth? I think the one with the ring that you have now, I think is the kind that we had when I was growing up. Mm -hmm. Then as an adult, I know like uh, wife of the show, Lori and I, I don't know if we bought it or if it was a gift, had pretty much the same one for quite a while. Uh, stainless steel, the, the ring that's hard to clean around, but gets the job done. And then at some point, quite a while ago, I bought a uh, green plastic Asian East Asian style colander from Daiso. Now, what makes it East Asian style? Or are we going to get it's, to this later? I mean, there there isn't anything about it that makes it like, you know, especially well suited to East Asian cooking. It's just like the style that you find like in in Japanese home kitchens. And is I think it, I think probably I've seen it in Thailand also. Is it possible for you to go get it and show it to me? Yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. Okay. 
Be doop, be doop, be doop. He's back. Oh, God. I love the color of that, Matthew. Oh, That's it's like beautiful... seafoam green. It's seafoam green. It absolutely is. It's uh, it's about 10 inches in, dyna- in diameter. Dynamiter. Hmm. How it's, dynamic. It's dynamic. Um, Matthew, hold on. Okay, well, we're going to talk more about this. Right, whether this is a colander or a strainer, is that what we're going to talk about? I'm so glad that you... Oh, interesting that you used the word strainer. I always use sieve, but that's different. Oh, my God. Is a sieve different from... Okay, this... We may have to split this into three episodes. The colander episode, the sieve episode, and the strainer episode. Okay, anyway, I'm excited to talk with you about the perforations in that one, but we're going to wait a minute. Okay. Um, Yeah, and it is... It's also kind of a pain to clean because uh, stuff can get, like, caught in the grooves and you have to really scrub it out. But other than that, I love it. It cost a buck fifty, and... It definitely predates spilled milk. Wow. I know because I remember specifically using it for a column I wrote for Gourmet about kimchi, which would have been like in the late aughts. Yes. So so this thing is more than 11 years old. That's amazing. It's got like one one little hole in it. Yeah, like one one little plastic piece that's missing. Yeah. So I was kind of surprised that I, I didn't find more history about colanders uh, when I was looking around. And granted, you know, I, I went to Wikipedia and I read maybe like three other articles in other places. But I was expecting to find information about like maybe who invented them or how how long ago they date to or whatever. I didn't I find feel any like, of that. I mean, did you go to any uh, university libraries? <laughs> like, like... <laughs> The dusty old stacks, because I feel like this is this is the type of topic because, you know, because it's like a a, a medieval European cooking tool, I guess, maybe Mm -hmm. uh, that you would go in and they would pull like a dusty tome off the shelf and blow the dust off it, open it up and uh, somehow exactly to the right page and point to a picture of someone being tortured with a colander in 1300 or whatever. Maybe that book would be like a palimpsest or something. Is that how you Maybe pronounce it? Maybe it would be a palimpsest. And, I'm going to pretend I know what that means. Well, isn't it like a document where you can see traces of like something that it used to say there, but that's been removed or erased or something? Yes. I think that is what that word means. <laughs> I first came across it while watching the show A Discovery of Witches on stars the okay. stars network that sounds good then i just came You're across right. it last night in the book i'm reading a manuscript or a piece of writing material on which the original writing has been effaced to make room for later writing but of which traces remain yes by extension something reused or altered but still bearing visible traces of its earlier form example sutton place is a palimpsest of the taste of successive owners wow i love language but anyway i was thinking maybe we could find an old like creaky book in the library that would be a palimpsest and maybe it would like lead us to finding some sort of like treasure please say treasure treasure or a coven somewhere mm-hmm. um uh, uh, let's keep going with this you know who i think could help us with this is uh nicholas cage because he he like stole the declaration i haven't seen those movies i was gonna I start riffing on the national treasure movies which i've never seen but i think they're probably pretty fun movies okay well anyway here's what i did learn about colanders uh, according to wikipedia they're also called Colanders? Yeah, you wrote this, but that doesn't make it true. <laughs> no, it doesn't. Do you think Wikipedia is punking us again? <laughs> anyway, some people call them pasta strainers. I think that's a bit limiting. Some mm-hmm. people call them kitchen sieves. I think that's totally reasonable. So, you know, I think maybe most often or or like historically 
they've been made of a light metal, like aluminum or a light stainless. Yeah. Aluminum is like a newer thing than than steel, isn't it? Do you really think I know the answer to this? Well, you you, you thought I would know what a palimpsest was, so I think we're even. <laughs> okay. okay, fine. Well, because like, you hear about like the, the Iron Age, and that's like a really long time ago. I, I realize iron and steel aren't exactly the same thing, but like, you, do you hear about the aluminum age? Is there like aluminum ore? Like there's iron ore? Yeah, there's ore. bauxite. What's bauxite? I think it's aluminum ore. That's what came to mind. But then when I said it, I'm like, is that aluminum ore? Bauxite is aluminum ore. Okay. Yep. Is it like box, like B-O-X? B-A-U-X. Oh, so it's probably it. French. Wow. Um, okay. So colanders are also sometimes made of plastic, as you know, Matthew. Uh, silicone. Although I've never encountered yeah. one of those myself, I've, it seems I've awfully seen flimsy. That. I think it's I think it's too too floppy. Yeah, and then ceramic, which I'll share my my ceramic colander experience in a that moment. That sounds dangerous. Yeah, and then sometimes enamelware, which I do think you see a lot. They're beautiful colanders made out of yeah. enamelware. Anyway, the word colander comes from the Latin "colum." Would that be pronounced correctly? Don't you do a long um, U in Latin? Yeah, Colum? I think that sounds right. Which means sieve. It's pronounced palimpsest. <laughs> anyway, so according to Wikipedia, there are broadly two types of colanders. There's like the freestanding bowl-shaped kind, which we're talking yeah. about. And then there's also mated colander pots, like a pasta insert in a big stock pot. This is a family-friendly show. We can't be talking about mated Mating. pots. Uh, I, I, you know what? I had not thought about the, the mated pot style colander in years. And like we used to have one we have had for forever. Uh, I think it was a wedding present from William Sonoma, maybe. And it was called mm-hmm. the multi pot. And mm-hmm. so it's like an eight quart stock pot with a pasta insert, steamer insert and lid. We never used the pasta insert and it was big and heavy. So we threw it out years ago. I just used a pasta insert for the first time this past week, Matthew. Really? At that point, was it, it because of this episode? No, it hadn't even occurred to me that what I was using was a colander. I was just thinking of it as the pasta insert. It was not at my house. I don't have uh, one. Okay. It was at this house that we rented that belongs to a friend, and uh, uh, she has okay. a lot of really nice cookware. And she had like a twelve-quart all-clad stock pot that had a pasta insert, and I needed to cook some spaghetti, and I was like, "What the?" The hell i'll use the pasta insert i've never done this before you really went wild you really got your groove back there it was a crazy crazy getaway did anyway, everyone gather <clears throat> around when you pulled it out of the pot to like see the dripping water and and everyone just like fainted with delight you know i have to say that i was really glad that i had used the pasta insert as opposed to other options like using tongs to fish out the spaghetti noodles yeah, out of the no boiling fun. water or my god so in my house i don't have any stock pots larger than eight quarts yeah that's what we have also and i had forgotten how heavy a 12 quart pot is i mean maybe oh, this was i can imagine i mean it was intensely heavy If I had been planning to pour the pasta and the pasta water into the sink, into a colander, I'm afraid I would have, like, 
burned myself because it was so heavy. It was unwieldy. So my first time using a pasta insert, I got to say, was a big success because it saved me from burning myself. Okay. No, I can I can visualize that. Like, I'm not going to go out and get one. But yeah, me neither. But, you know, if I if I somehow decide to start cooking for large groups of people, which I probably never will, because that's not my favorite thing to do. No, me neither. And if I go get like a 12 quart or larger pot, by God, I'm getting a pasta insert for it. No, you know, I love I love like having people over. I mean, like maybe someday, but like whenever I have to cook for more than like three or four people, I'm just like, I can't believe how hard this is. I know I I realize how privileged that is. Like my, you know, my wife grew up in a family of eight. And uh, so I assume like uh, whenever, you know, now that uh, her parents are are retired and all the kids have moved out, like I'm sure her mom is like, I can't believe like cooking for two. Like I'm constantly, you know, making huge amounts of leftovers. But uh, but that's what it is for me. Yeah, we used to. I know I've talked before on the show about this like Thursday night dinner thing we used to do a few years ago where uh, with three other families. So there were four of us families in all and we would rotate among houses. We would each cook one Thursday night of the month. Right. By the time all the families had finished having their children, there were eight to nine adults, depending on whether I was divorced yet. And uh, and uh, then there were seven children. And it oh, was intensely stressful for me. Like I wound up withdrawing from the Thursday night dinner group because I just found it so anxiety producing. Oh yeah. And then then a global pandemic hit and you were like, thank God. I know. I was like, whoa, man, now I don't feel so bad about pulling out of this thing anymore. Anyway. Okay. Matthew, back to plastic colanders. It's always seemed weird to me personally, that one would pour boiling water onto plastic. And logically, I know that there's plenty of plastic that can hold up to boiling plus temperatures. This one's been holding up to it for over 11 years. Okay. So I've never owned a plastic colander because it just always kind of weirded me out. Speak to this, Matthew. No, I don't. I don't have like any like scientific response. Uh, Just like I when I first got this, I like used it for like particular things and didn't like use it as a general purpose colander. And then I realized, oh, I just like this one best for everything. Mm-hmm. And so then then we like purged the metal colander at some point. Isn't it funny how, so I, I have a colander that I think came into my life with Brandon. So, so I have one colander that I've had, God, since at least 2006. Yeah. And it's nice because it's got really evenly distributed holes or perforations, but I never use it because it's bigger than this kind of standard, I think, 10-inch size. And it's just, it's like too big for what I need. Okay, Um, Isn't it funny how like, even if we have a tool that seems really useful and long-lasting and versatile, like if you don't like the way it feels in your hand or you don't like any, you know, if you don't like one thing about it. Yeah, that's that's how it, I that's how I feel it, yeah. about my friends. Like if there's just one thing about them that runs <laughs> rubs me the wrong way, pff, you're out of here. I know we're constantly having to repair our friendship, Matthew, because there are so yeah. many things you don't like about me. Like when I use the word palimpsest. <laughs> no, I love that. That's my favorite thing about you. That you that you feel like I'm the person who would know a word, the, the definition of a word. <laughs> Okay. okay. Sometimes you say something in Latin and, and expect me to know what it means. You know what you're really not going to like about me now, Matthew? I got to yeah. pause the recording and go use the bathroom. All right, cool. Okay. I'll be right back. Hey, you know, you could vamp a little bit. I could. Like, I think I feel like that's your thing. I don't really know how to vamp. Vamp. 
Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The legends are true. But overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. I'm back. Welcome back. Thank you. I have an exciting announcement. Oh, okay, great. Okay. So I, I've been getting really tired of the shitty toilet paper that I've been finding at the store. Okay. Well, and also like I Are have one of those- Are you about to recommend a toilet paper that's going to change our lives? <sighs> yeah. I okay. Have... No, I'm ready. I'm up for this. I have one of those tushy bidets. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like, if you're going to use a bidet, you need to have, like, a, a good toilet paper that doesn't, like, fall apart. Okay. With wetness. <laughs> we can cut this part. <laughs> I don't know. No, never. Anyway. Okay, so what, so what toilet paper should so we buy? I decided to try ordering that who gives a crap, like, toilet paper delivery thing. Ah. I got some, like, $10 off thing for my first delivery. And so it made it such that 48 rolls was $42. Okay. This stuff is really good. All right. Like, it tears really cleanly at the perforations. So if you want to try to use, like, a minimum of it, like, it, it, it's easy to do that. You know, some toilet paper tears really badly, and it's hard to just take off, like, three squares. Oh, anyway, yeah. No, I know exactly what you mean. This tears really well, and also it just holds up really well. Okay. Uh, this uh, this has uh, been our toilet paper ep- episode. This is a thing people have <laughs> asked for. I'm not joking. And uh, that's all you're going to get, I think. Oh, God. Well, how do you feel about toilet paper? Are you, are you choosy? I'm in favor of it. I use it daily. Do you have strong feelings about, like, you know, buying two-ply or one-ply or whatever? Two-ply. Oh, yeah. It's got to sure. be two-ply. It's got to be two-ply. It's hard to get two-ply these days, Matthew. I don't think we've been having trouble getting it. Really? God, my... Not that I've noticed. My local grocery stores, it's like either I need to get one of the like single, individually wrapped things. Wait, there are individual, like one roll? Yes. My local grocery store has consistently, since the pandemic began, sometimes that's the only toilet paper they have is individually wrapped rolls. And I'm like, not on your life because it's one ply. And no, that sounds that sounds like an institutional product. It is. It's an institutional okay. product. It yeah. says it on there. Anyway, so I, I I was really pleased with this. I've only placed one order. I, I don't love the idea of you know like the old carbon footprint or whatever, but I mean this I got, is more of a carbon butt print. A carbon butt print. I'm I'm yeah. keeping my butt print clean is what I'm doing. Okay, good. All right, back to the colander. What is a colander? Like, what makes a colander different from a sieve or a strainer? And, like, why do some of them have, like, a mesh and some of them have small holes? Why do both of those exist? I believe that if it has mesh, that it should be called a sieve. Okay. I mean, I think by definition, a sieve 
is a tool that allows you to pour into it something and some items are going to run through the sieve, but what you want will remain. So it's almost like you could use it if you're like panning for gold, let's say. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. Okay. So when which I, I, which I do gold, in my kitchen often. When I'm panning for gold, I always use a mesh sieve. Have you ever gone panning for gold? No. I have. You have? Was, yeah. Because I grew like up in eight? Oregon. Yeah. Okay. I was like eight. Okay, cool. Did I so, find gold? Yes, I did. So I like to use a mesh strainer for things where the whole of, holes of my colander are maybe a little bit too big. So okay, I like to rinse rice in a mesh sieve. But this is not our mesh sieve show. But but it's, it's so closely related. Now, so Matthew, you you define. No, I, I don't really know. So so I'm kind of wondering, like, why isn't one of them, like, just inherently better than the other? Like, why do they both exist? So I think they exist because they tend to have different perforation sizes. Well, here's what I'm here's what I'm trying to say. Let's put the colander on trial. Oh, God, I had no idea this was what this, this okay. episode is going to turn step into. Step one, voir dire. Let's impanel a jury. <laughs> Hold on. Wait a minute. I have another thought about mesh sieves versus colanders. Okay. Here's the thing. You know, some mesh sieves have like um, kind of an aluminum wire sort of tube underneath that supports Yes, I know what you mean. But a lot of them don't. And so if you were to, if you were making kimchi or something like that, or if you were making sauerkraut and you needed to be able to press down on whatever is in the sieve to push out liquid, you might break your mesh sieve. Like, it's yeah. not as sturdy as um, a colander. Yeah. Now, they do make mesh sieves with, with a foot, though, right? They do. They do. Okay, but, but even those I've managed to break. Yeah. No, I see what you mean. Like, the thing the thing I was trying to figure out is, like, why would you want a colander that drains kind of, like, slowly compared to a mesh sieve? Wouldn't you always just want stuff to drain quickly? But it, it sounds like durability is a big part of it. So durability and Ease of cleaning is yeah. why I often will reach for a colander when I think a mesh sieve probably would drain faster and more effectively. Like, yeah, okay. I hate cleaning um, starchy pasta water off of a mesh sieve. I don't I'm like I'm glad doing you mentioned that. pasta because I think I ha- once had someone claim that the point of a colander is that when you're making pasta, it doesn't drain as much pasta water off. And so hmm. then you get you get to like keep a little sure. pasta water behind to thicken the sauce. But like you can just like reach in and grab some pasta water if you want yeah. to do that. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I, I do sometimes appreciate that, but I don't, I don't think that was what it was designed to do. Like, let's design this thing to not work very well. Yeah. But then at the same time, I see what you mean about cleaning. Because like my, you know, my my uh, light green baby here that I keep holding up, it, uh, I should probably like, like take a picture of this and like link to it mm-hmm. in the show notes somehow. Mm-hmm. We'll figure mm-hmm. out how to do that. This, sometime this week, I'm going to be, I'm going to make Dan Dan noodles, which is one of my absolute favorite things to make. And uh, they're pretty thin noodles. And I know some of them are going to get like caught in the grooves of the colander here. 
and I'm going to I'm going to have to really scrub to get them out. The other thing I'm noticing about that plastic colander and that I that I observe about my metal one as well is that if you have a really delicate noodle, the surface of the colander is quite smooth, right? Whereas the yeah. surface of a mesh sieve, I think, has a little bit of texture to it that can kind of scuff up a noodle. I mean, yeah, no, I think like when I, I when mean? I've been served a scuffed noodle, like <laughs> I will storm out of a restaurant. Although it does, the sauce clings to it nicely. That's true. No, no, you're right. Like, there are two ways to get that service. You either get bronze dyes for your pasta extruder or you <laughs> or scuff you it up with a mesh sieve. Great. Do you like, well, clearly neither of us tends to reach for um, a colander that has like a long handle. No, although I do I do have like two mesh strainers with handles. I do too. That I use sometimes. I do like, too. Like I'll use those for like, a, like if I'm making myself a single serving of pasta, I will usually reach for one of those because it's smaller and I can just kind of you know, pour and then dump the pasta, the drained pasta. And it pasta scuffs your noodle. It scuffs my noodle up a little bit. And then I can put it in the dishwasher and they dishwash pretty well. Oh, this, I never dishwash This can mine. go in the dishwasher, but it takes up so much space that I usually don't. And okay. it doesn't even always get clean in the dishwasher. Okay. So do you think you could live without one of these tools? Like your plastic, co- like, so I have, like you, I have a colander that I use as a colander. And then I have what you're calling a strainer and I'm calling a mesh sieve um, with a longer handle that I use for di- for other things. Like, yeah. would you be fine without one or the other of them? No. Is there enough overlap? There, there are a couple things that I think that I really would want to have you know this this one un- unlike the uh the the mesh strainer with the handle like doesn't sit up straight so i wouldn't like put that in the sink and pour pasta into it because yes. the pasta would fall over the side does it have so a that, pointed bottom as opposed uh, to a foot? it doesn't have a pointed bottom like a uh uh i don't know what's that thing called a chinoise uh, or something chinoise yeah but it's got a rounded bottom so it, it will roll okay. over it's okay. it, my my uh, mesh strainers learn to roll over in its crib, <laughs> which is what I call the sink. Do you ever prop it up like between, you know, like uh, balance it on your sink, uh, on the rim of your sink? No, it, like my, my sink topography doesn't really allow for that. Okay. So no, so I wouldn't, I don't want to use that for like, like three servings of pasta because uh, it'll fall over. But the thing that I wouldn't use this plastic, you know, 10 inch colander for is like I'm making pod thai tonight. I'm going to be straining some tamarind paste. This would not work well for that at all. The the holes right. are too big and it would be impossible to clean. So there you need like a sieve, like something that performs that action of like separating out something that you do want or don't want. Yes. I have like a medium mesh strainer and a fine mesh strainer. Do I need both of those? Probably not. You know what? Um, I have like a tiny, it's probably designed to be used for tea, like a I tiny little too. fine yeah. mesh strainer. And I actually really like it every now and then for random things, whether it's like someone, uh, somehow I've come into some loose tea, uh, <laughs> which I don't usually buy, uh-huh. but or I've used it for doing like a final strain of some chicken broth. I mean, yeah, yeah, by the that time I've, by the time I've, so with chicken broth, oh, this is interesting. Maybe not, but maybe interesting is too strong. No, I think this whole show is the most interesting show we've ever done. <laughs> okay, but like when I'm making chicken broth, what I will usually do is strain, like kind of dump it into a colander that's over a large bowl or something mm-hmm. and use the colander to catch like the bones and large pieces. Have you ever accidentally poured the chicken stock down the drain that way? I think once. I have. 
Yes. Yeah. Okay. But then once I've strained out all the big stuff, you still have to get out the small stuff. Now, if I'm smart enough to have cheesecloth in the house, that's the ideal. Yeah. To like pour it through a couple layers of cheesecloth into like mason jars or something. If I don't have cheesecloth in the house, then I'll use that little fine mesh strainer. And it doesn't matter that it's like tiny because I've already gotten all the big stuff out of the chicken stock. I'm just trying to pour what is essentially just a a liquid through it. Yeah. You know, I know we are a pouring homemade stock through cheesecloth into mason jars kind of podcast, but I still don't like it. Yeah. You don't you wish I hadn't said it, don't you? Like, I wish we could keep that that part of ourselves secret. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> okay. Anyway, so Matthew. Yeah, yeah. All told, I mean, we've talked about a lot of ways that we use colanders, but surely there are other things we do that we haven't talked about yet. Like, for instance, I teased earlier this little ceramic colander that I have. Yeah, tell me about this. So this was a gift from my friend Leisha, who gives like the most thoughtful gifts. She has given me like my favorite mug. She gave me like this little ceramic bell that I hang from a window, like just really beautiful little things. She gave me a small, it's maybe the size of like um, a cereal bowl, a small colander with a handle. And it's like a handle that would be on a mug. It's made of ceramic and it has holes all around it, like a really good number of holes. And it's designed for rinsing berries, like a portion of berries. Okay. And I love it because previously, like if I was eating blueberries or something like that, I would put them in a mesh strainer or sieve mm-hmm. and rinse them. Yeah. But then I've got to dump them into something else to eat them or whatever. Anyway, this way, what I tend to do is put my berries in there, rinse them, and then set that whole colander on like a saucer and take it to the table. And so we wind up kind of serving out of that little colander. And it's pretty, I mean, it is one of those things that is totally unnecessary, but it is very appealing. But I admit it. It's very it. appealing. I love using it. And it's one of those things, too, that I only tend to use in certain seasons, like when we're actually buying berries. So I'm always like, oh, time to get out the berry colander. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, this turns out to be a show not only where we strain stock through cheesecloth, but where but we also, have berry colanders. Time to get out the berry But that can only be used on a seasonal basis because yes. this show is nothing if not seasonal. Yeah. Like we had to wait until until May to do this colander episode because everyone knows May is the start of colander season. <laughs> Matthew, what else do you do with your... Oh, wait, I have some more precious things I do with my colander. Yeah, yeah, please, please do. Yes, you no, no. I want to read what you wrote here on the the agenda, and then I want you to tell me what it means. (laughs) Making cur a la creme without a cur a la creme mold. Okay. Yeah. All right. So when I was growing up and my mother was a subscriber to like Bon Appetit and Gourmet magazines in the 80s. Now she's a subscriber to Spilled Milk. She is. Thank you, Tony Negroni. She somehow found a recipe for something called a cura la creme. It's basically like a Oh, we've talked about this before. Yeah. It's a mousse that's made with um, whipped cream, cream cheese... Maybe and like white chocolate or something. Yeah, and formed into a heart shape and and like drizzled with fruit syrup, maybe? Well, yes. So if you're one of those people who really likes having specialized cooking stuff, you may have seen in uh, like sur sur la table or something like that, this ceramic heart shape. Or la table. Oh, dear. Uh, you know, okay, uh, a caramel creme mold actually looks a lot like a colander, really, but it's ceramic, it's heart shaped, 
hence like cœur, which means heart in French. Anyway, and you would line it with cheesecloth. God, here we go. Cheesecloth again. <laughs> You'd line this mold with cheesecloth and then you would put in there the mixture for this like mousse and you would wrap it, the cheesecloth over the top, set it over a plate or something and put it in the fridge overnight. So basically you're straining any any liquid out of this mousse. Sort of like and, how you make Greek yogurt. Yes, yes, exactly. And in the process, uh, the the mousse also takes the shape of the mold. Yes. So it's very pretty. My mom used to serve it with like a raspberry puree and it was it, it's delicious. I think I put a recipe for it actually in my first book. But I think you're thing, right. Yeah. The thing is, is that I am not the kind of person, despite the fact that I am a, a berry colander kind of person and a, a straining stock through cheesecloth kind of person sometimes. You're not, not a the, specialized Corella creme mold kind of person. No. So I have used my colander for it. Just line my colander with cheesecloth, put my stuff in there. And what you wind up with is just kind of a low dome. But do you let like like cut a little triangle out of it to make a heart? No, absolutely because not. Because a circle with a triangle cut out of it is what a heart looks like. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great idea. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. So anyway, if you want to make a delicious dessert but don't want to be precious about it, you can make a Corella creme in a colander, and it's every bit as delicious. Okay. We actually have some white chocolate in the house. We bought a pound of it for like one snacking cake or something, and uh, a pound of white chocolate goes a long way. So maybe we should make this. Oh I think we God. have cream cheese, too. Oh, my God. You should totally make it. You just need some cream, I think. Too probably powdered sugar, maybe. Yeah, and then and like I've, frozen I have a raspberries, lot of colanders, and sieves. Apparently, oh my god, I'm so excited for you. In in truth, like the a sieve is probably gonna yield a better shape because like a, a, the ten inch colanders that you and I have make a pretty like low dome. But yeah. Really, also, who, I don't even have that colander anymore. This this one is flat on the bottom. Ah, uh, well. Anyway, who cares? It'll still be delicious. It's just gonna yeah. be ugly. But okay, you're gonna no, scoop I, no. it into a bowl anyway. It's, it's like my, my heart is probably pretty ugly, but, but it's still full of love. Yeah, yeah. Uh, do you want to read the other thing that I wrote about my colander? Taking out to the yard when I harvest cherry tomatoes or green beans, etc. Yeah. So last summer was my first summer really trying to grow like edible food. And I found that a colander with, you know, with like the little handles on each side was kind of the perfect thing to take out to the yard. It's when a you were light gonna... bowl with a handle. Yes, because most like mixing bowls that I have don't have a handle. So it felt easier to carry and I could put all that stuff in there and bring it in and rinse it. So yeah. that was pretty cool. Can I talk about a couple of colander things I do? Yeah, do it. As I mentioned, I'm making pod thai tonight. I'm going to be peeling some shrimp to put in there. Whenever I peel shrimp, I always put it in the colander yes. because I'm going to like I'm going to rinse it, but also it just feels like I can put that in the sink and have it sitting there and it just feels cleaner somehow. Oh yeah, big time. Big time. Like I don't I don't want the the shrimp like touching the surface of the sink, but I don't want it like accumulating water in a bowl either. So it's like if there was there was a bowl with holes in it. <sighs> Um, and like, I think my favorite thing to do with a colander is if I'm making like coleslaw or kimchi and I have a bunch of cabbage that I'm going to salt and, and leave to uh, wilt and collapse over the course of an hour or two, like I will pile that up in the colander and I love like, you know, 
kind of you just like turn your back on it for a few minutes and when you look back it's gone like floop and like mm-hmm. collapsed to like half its size it's great cabbage is so cool it's really important to have either a colander that has a foot on it or a flat bottom so it can stand up right or yeah. you need to have as you phrased it uh, a sink topography that lends itself to having like a uh, a handle balanced across yeah it. i mean some people have like like a, a colander or mesh mesh sieve that that is designed to like sit on the sink that's sort of rectangular and has my, maybe extensible legs my mom has one of those and you know she actually uses it as a dish drainer for clean dishes okay, okay. that makes yeah. sense all right anything else about colanders uh, i mean i feel like probably a lot well i do have Based. one ridiculous thing which is that okay, uh, on the wikipedia page as, as you'll see here matthew i included a picture uh in the agenda uh so the colander was adopted as the religious headgear of uh of the religion Pastafarianism. This is the religion of the flying spaghetti monster. Got it. So uh, we've got a picture here on Wikipedia of a Pastafarian protester wearing a colander while showing an icon of the flying spaghetti monster. But I think this was a thing that already existed as like, you know, if you if you wanted to portray someone who who is like afraid of of aliens or like government mind control. Like I thought that was like a, a tinfoil hat. But I know I, I think I've seen a colander version of that also. Okay. <laughs> maybe not. Maybe it's just a tinfoil hat. Okay. This guy's got nice forearms. Yeah, true. I'd, I'd take him. All right, yeah, I'm, whatever, whatever he's he's protesting in favor of. I guess I'm on board based yeah. on based on the arms. Yeah, sign me up. Okay, Matthew. So uh, let's let's get into some segments. All right, uh, how about spilled mail? This one got in just under the wire. Like, hit us up. Contact at spilledmilkpodcast.com, and uh, we'll probably use your your question on the show. Uh, this one comes from listener Yara, who asks, what are your favorite recipes that don't contain onion or garlic? Mm. This was this was a fun one for me. Go ahead, Matthew. You go first. Okay, so the first thing that came to mind was bread and cheese, which is great, but I wanted I wanted to come up with an answer that was more like, like a full cooked meal. And uh, so I... I Came up with two. One is tonkatsu. So like tonkatsu, yeah. like with a big pile of cabbage and maybe some miso soup that doesn't have scallions in it. I think tonkatsu sauce typically does have garlic or, or probably onion in it. But uh, like I would just do a squeeze of lemon. That would be a terrific meal. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing is mapo tofu, uh, which I make all the time and it doesn't have any onion or garlic in it until I sprinkle some uh, scallions on at the end and I could just leave those off and it would be 100% satisfying. The first things that come to mind for me are, God, I make cacio e pepe all the time. That has yeah. no onion or garlic in sight. The other thing is, I know a lot of people put uh, garlic or shallot in their vinaigrette. I do not. So my basic vinaigrette is just um, Dijon mustard, either red or white wine vinegar, olive oil, and salt. And it keeps on the counter indefinitely. I try to always have a jar of it on the counter. And the nice thing is, is because I haven't put anything fresh in it, like garlic or an onion, it really does keep forever. And the flavor doesn't change a lot. So, you know, I I know a lot of people wouldn't dream of making vinaigrette without some sort of allium, but I, I do it 
Always. No, my basic vinaigrette is uh, olive oil, lemon juice, salt and pepper. And I will often put that on a salad that doesn't have any garlic or onion because I'm not a big fan of raw onion. No, I don't like raw onion either. Um, The other thing I was going to say is uh, I've been cooking a ton, like a ton from Julia Tertian's new cookbook, Mm -hmm. um, Simply Julia. God, there's tons of great stuff in there with no onion or garlic. Like I, I, I didn't even happen to notice it. But now that I think about it, Wow, take a look at that cookbook. I feel like I've made everything I've made in there, I don't think has had onion or garlic. Okay, great. Anyway, yeah. Uh, thanks, listener Yara. Let's talk about a cute animal you need to know. I'm so excited about this. This one comes to us from host Molly. Mm-hmm. This this uh, actually was shared with me by my child. Oh, okay. Who learned about it from her teacher. Okay. Mm-hmm. This is this is how things go viral. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's a beaver eating cabbage at its desk. And you like, said its desk, but it's like I a mean, picnic table. It's like a picnic table. And it looks like the beaver. It looks like like I I've been like go gone into the office like to to uh, get chewed out by my boss and my boss is this beaver who is who's chomping on cabbage uh, while dressing me down for you know, not getting the reports done on time. Oh God, look at his little hands, Matthew. And he, he eats it like like you imagine a beaver would. Like like he feeds it in there like his mouth is like a juicer or something. Yeah, exactly. But his little hands, he reaches onto the top of the table and just keeps grabbing piece after piece of this cabbage. Oh my God, hold on. We got to watch till the end because- Yeah, and I like, there are no humans in this video and uh, and I, I like that because I'm not not a huge fan of humans. Yeah. Um, and also because it make it makes it seem like like there are clearly people around like this is happening like in a classroom or something, but that the beaver is just like doing its thing. Well, and what I love is if you watch till the very end, you know, you can see at one point like he runs out of cabbage. And so he just kind of like slowly lowers himself down from the picnic table. It's just like he just disappears from the camera. Yeah. Oh, God, it's so cute. This is, I mean, I know I'm biased because I brought this to you, but this is like my favorite cute animal ever. It's it's pretty wonderful. I think I I think maybe we started. No, the first thing was Whisper the Stoat. But like one of the earliest ones, like you sent along with this video and said maybe we should do this one. And I'm like, we already did that on the show. It was a baby beaver from the Point Defiance Zoo. I don't remember that like, at all. Yeah, we we've come full circle on on beavers. Yeah, I got to say, this is a cute animal that I believe everyone needs to turn up to full volume, too. Yeah, so definitely. You the, the, the crunching is, is a really important part of this video. Yeah, don't try to watch it without the sound. I mean, you'll get like 70% of the cuteness, but the remaining 30% is like crucial. Yeah, that seems about right. Like, I'm, I'm going to crunch the numbers. Yeah, 70-30. Okay. All right, Matthew. So this week, you're going to do now, but wow, what you got this week? All right, I've got a great book called The Address Book by Deirdre Mask, which is a super cool name. It is. Uh, It is the history of street addresses and why they matter, and it is incredibly unboring. Say more. Right, okay. So I'm 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 maybe like 100 pages into the book at this point, and uh, like I've, you know, it's it's a real, like I, it's hard to put down. Like I've been like staying up late reading this book about street addresses. Yes, I'm completely serious. I'm not not being facetious about this at all. Like in, in this few pages, we've already been to Calcutta, ancient Rome, and Haiti, and most importantly, we have met an expert on British street with names that sound dirty, including one that I absolutely will not say on the show, but I'll tell you afterwards. Oh my God, um, okay. 
Yes. So, so if you want to know what what that uh, street name that I uh, don't feel like I can say on the show is, uh, you have to read the the address book by Deirdre Mask. And we will uh, maybe we can put up a link to it on bookshop.org. Yeah, uh, let's do on, it in our show notes. All right. Let's talk about colanders for forty seven more minutes. Oh my god! All right, Matthew. Well, this was super fun, and I, I I'm relieved to say I don't feel like we have to do another one. No, I, I think mean, I ever don't... again, like not another spilled milk ever again. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you for having listened to spilled milk. Yeah, we're, we're you know, forget 500 episodes. Just like, yeah. you know, I think I think uh, once we got to Colander is clearly the well had run dry. <laughs> next next week, we'll do well water. Oh, good. No, yeah. but anyway, I think that we covered colanders really well, and I think we don't have to do it again. Yeah, and to be clear, we will be knack, knack backed with <laughs> Oh, yes. That. <laughs> to, to be scrupulously clear, we will be back next week. <laughs> All right. Uh, our producer is Abby Circuitella, who possibly yeah. wishes that we would maybe just do a last show and be done with it. <laughs> But um, but can, but continue paying her salary yeah, anyway. Okay. okay. <laughs> Find us on Reddit. It's a great place to talk about the show with with like minded listeners. That's reddit.com slash r slash everything spilled milk. People share cute animals with each other. Yeah. You can find the stuff we said we linked linked to will be in the show notes in your podcast player. Including a link uh, to our live show tonight. That's May 13th. Yeah. It uh if you're listening to it to this, it might not be too late. And uh, and if thanks. the live show is good, I think we'll probably publish it as an episode. If it's bad, well, we'll never speak of it again. We'll, we'll toss it right. It'll be digital ash in a digital urn like that um, Bright Eyes album. Okay. Uh, thank you for listening to Spilled Milk. The show that, that goes into your ear, which then sieves out all the good stuff. From your ear or from the show? <laughs> I'm not sure. Like, I guess I guess I made it sound like you just like end up with some earwax lumps. <laughs> I'm Molly Weisenberg, <laughs> and I'm Matthew Epster Burton. Oh, hey, look, he's left it recording. I wonder what I'm going to do while he's gone. Maybe I'll sing a little song. I don't have a song in my heart today. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. 